Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So the Women's Football Podcast has returned and this week I am joined by a Her Football Hub duo in Aaron Hindhoff. How are things, Aaron? Yeah, really good. Thanks for having us on. Looking forward to it. No worries. And we have got Manchester's own Meg Wilson. How are things, Meg? I'm all right, thank you. Happy good. to be here. Yes, good to have a fellow Manc. Well, two Northerners on the podcast, like myself. Always good to have. Um, right, so we shall kick off, get straight into it, talking about the Women's Super League, because there were some great games over the weekend. Of course, Arsenal managed a 4-0 win over Aston Villa. Now, they just seem to be unstoppable at the minute, Arsenal. Like, you know, the manager, Carla Ward for Aston Villa, she was full of praise for Jonas Eidevall's Arsenal team, saying that it was the best Arsenal side that she had seen in the last 10 years. Aaron, do you think that that's a fair statement? Well, to be honest, it, I was quite took back when I first heard it. But then when you look at it, it's probably quite hard to argue, really. So I have some absolutely world-class players and some of them in arguably the form of that career. So you how well Beth Mead started the season. Kim Little, probably Vivian Miedemar has been a bit below par for her standards, but still being unbelievable. And I was looking at the squad they had from uh, when they won the WSL the last time, the couple of years ago, and they had players there like Leah Williamson, Miedemar, Mead, McCabe, Walty, all have came on leaps and bounds in the last couple of years. So really, it's hard to argue that they're not one of the best Arsenal teams that we've seen in recent times. And the way that they've changed their football from uh, when Joe was manager last season to now, they're not just playing on the front foot and dominating possession, like getting after teams and being clinical and ruthless in front of goal. So 100%, I think Carla Ward's right. It is one of the best team, Arsenal teams we've seen in recent years. Yeah, I would probably agree as well. I mean, looking at how they've started the season, it it is pretty impressive. And I mean, you know, you've, you've got a feel for Villa. I mean, they only had 23% possession. But, you know, on the bright side, they already have two wins this season. Compared to the three times they won in total last season, there is definite growth there. So, Meg, with this in mind, do you think that the defeat for Villa isn't one really that they should be worried about. They shouldn't really be kicking themselves too much, especially when you do look at the quality of the opponents that they faced. No, not at all. I mean, with Arsenal's current form, as much as I hate to say it, um, (laughs) I think it's not an unexpected or worrying result for Villa. I mean, holding them to a draw in the first half was like no mean feat in itself. And they've got a really pragmatic manager in Carla Ward. Like she's so class. And I can tell with, the way that she was speaking about Arsenal, that she sort of knew how to approach them as an opponent, not necessarily to win, but to hold them off and demonstrate that, you know, they weren't just going to get flattened, like they they did a good job. Um, and like you said, it's a much better start to the season for them generally, and they have far more positives to focus on at the moment, like pulling off the win against Brighton, they're really solid. So, like... Yeah, I think not necessarily being able to pull off a win against Arsenal, who were, you know, in the Champions League and frequently in those top couple of spots. Like, and it's only Villa's second season in the WSL, so they've got way more to do and so much more to come from them. And I think they're more than capable of um, focusing this season on just jumping up the table and having maybe a solid, like, 
middle finish and that would be like a really successful season for them I think so no nothing nothing to worry about at all I don't think yeah I agree it's one of those like focus on you know having a a strong season finishing you know like you say maybe middle of the table then deal with taking on the likes of you know Arsenal's your Chelsea's etc maybe you know a year or two down the line um Now, of course, last season, this was, you know, still a very talented Arsenal side with great players. Looking at this season, there is, of course, a change in the dugout and the addition of new players. And do you think that credit should be given to their new manager for being able to not only continue, you know, steering this Arsenal ship, but he's actually managed to make some really great progress in such a short time? Yeah, I think he's 100% got to get credit because... The players appear to, appear to have bought into his style of playing ethos around the club straight away because last season, Arsenal were quite often a bit of a soft a soft touch on the pitch. Teams could bully them, could harass them, getting around them, getting their faces. Whereas now, it's Arsenal that are doing that, they're getting after teams. You look at the way the swept Man City aside, I know they've got injuries, but Man City's still one of the best teams in Europe, especially England. So, I think they've just got a complete new lease of life and they seem to have had the shackles taken off them in some sorts and are, are really playing out with their skin at the minute. And I think what summed it up a lot was you just had to look at the way Edevald's uh, celebrated when Arsenal beat Chelsea at the Emirates. He was jumping up and down, running down the touchline. He was absolutely loving it. And that that's transmitting out onto the pitch as well. So I think the players... I've got to take credit for adapting and buying into the style of play. But I think the manager has to take equal amounts of credit for the way he's implemented it and galvanised the squad as soon as he has. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, with what you're saying there. Definitely. Con- congrats to him. And I'm interested to see how the rest of the season you know, goes for Arsenal. But meanwhile, over the weekend, Chelsea celebrated another win, this time over Brighton, as they got a 3-1 victory. Now, Brighton did look pretty, you know, well-organised compared to some of the scorelines that we've seen from this Chelsea team, particularly my team, Man United, when I was sat in the stands watching them lose um, by six goals. Yep, that was fun. Um, You know, comparing it to situations like that, Brighton came off pretty lightly, I thought. I mean, Meg, do you think that looking at their opposition kind of similar to the Villa situation where they're like, you know, Brighton weren't too bad and can still take away some positives. Yeah, yeah, of course they can. I mean, Brighton really weren't bad at all. They're, they're, they are a well-organised side and Chelsea definitely have to work to break them down. Um, and we can't forget how they tripped us up at home last season. And I think Emma Hayes definitely had that in mind approaching mm. the fixture because I think, you know, we, we've learned like you just can't underestimate a team like that ever even when you're in top form and top of the table you just can always fall victim uh in situations like that um but um even just Villa um sorry we've moved on Brighton in themselves uh Dan Carter's goal was excellent like she totally exploited that moment of breakdown when Chelsea's defense she was totally unmarked in the box and you can't you can't do that and she just took that moment and it's also challenging for teams when Chelsea can sub in a player like Beth England late on in the game Um, because you know when you're already tired and you're struggling to equalise and you're down and then they've got that depth so I think Brighton did really well to carry on as they did and with um, with the amount of shots on target that Chelsea had um, the score definitely could have been 
um, a lot higher. So they did well to put in the saves that they did. And um, yeah, I, I thought they had a good game. And much like Villa, it's not a loss to be ashamed of. It's just one to learn from and move on to the next. 100%, yeah. It's definitely something that you kind of these these teams should you know shrug off as like you say an experience they take something from it they take the positives and they keep it moving definitely I mean you know Frank Kirby was on fire you know provided Chelsea with a hat trick of assists and do you think that this season we are watching Kirby at her absolute best especially considering you know what she's been through to get to this point now um I think it's hard to say, really, because I think last season she was absolutely sensational. I think it was 16 goals and 11 assists. That That's just absolutely amazing for, like you said, what she's done uh, off the pitch and to come through that and to hit the ground running as if she'd never been away was amazing and just summed her up, really, as a person and a footballer. So, at the minute, I'd probably say no, because I think last season's Frank Kirby was just unstoppable whenever she got the ball defenders were backing off and they didn't want to go anywhere near her so yeah I don't think it is the best I've seen but obviously she's still one of the best in the world and I think saying she got a hat-trick of assists uh, this weekend I was looking last season she got four in one game against Redden so I feel like it'll be harder to outdo ourselves from last season but if anyone can do it then it'll, it'll definitely be Frank Kirby. Yeah, definitely. You can imagine that she's, uh, you know, probably got one eye on those stats herself thinking, right, okay, I've got three assists today. I've got four last season. So it'll be five assists for the next game. (laughs) I mean, you know, there was talk after the game about, you know, some questions over the lack of options regarding Chelsea's fullbacks. And that whether this could be an issue maybe against, you know, tougher attacks that Chelsea may face. Meg, for you, you know, as a Chelsea fan, is this a concern? Or do you think you, your team's looking all right, you'll be okay? I mean, I'll never not be stressed about this. Of course. Um, I've talked about it so much. Um, but we've obviously had the amazing news this morning that Maren Mielda is back in training, which I've just been waiting to hear, like... And of course, she's got to build up back to where she was. It's not like she can just slot back in and we'll be back to where we were earlier this year. But at the same time, it's a massive relief. Like her injury really like exposed that deficit in our defence and forced players that aren't natural fullbacks to fall back, like Neve Charles, who did an amazing job, but they really had to test themselves. Um, and ultimately, like you need that experience, especially against teams like Barcelona, which I think is why we ultimately fell down. Uh, in Champions League so with Mjelda reintegrating and uh, obviously signing uh, Anika Nowen as well um, we do have a bit more backup but at the same time we also lost Doris Dottir and Blundell to United so we've not actually gained any depth in that respect Um, we've gained players but lost them as well so we still have the talent and the organisation I think to stay on top of most teams in the WSL but when it comes to potentially challenging again for European success like the investment really still needs to go into the fullbacks because in that sense not that much not that much has changed since last year so can we go again and realistically stand up to Barcelona and like now Leon I've got um Ada Higgerberg back and that like that is when your defence really, really, really comes under pressure. And I don't know um, whether there's been enough change uh, 
or if that is still a problem for us. So I don't know. It will be a uh, only time will tell, I suppose. And hopefully, uh, we see Marin kind of slotting back into the um, starting eleven sooner rather than later because I miss her so much. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just not the same without her. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and especially you know with regards to Europe because you know like you say, you guys got to the final, you need to, you know, perhaps be able to have that extra gear um, when you are up against, you know, like you say, the, the lights of Barcelona and stuff. And, and I guess people could question whether, you know, regarding that area of the pitch, you guys have it. But I, I also get where you're coming from, you know, with, um, you know, with the return from injury, maybe that will, you know, change things uh, for you guys. It will be interesting to see definitely. Um Meanwhile, one team that I have been, you know, pretty impressed with, to be honest, is Tottenham. Um, I was hating on them a little bit last season. Um, they have managed to <laughs> maintain their position in second. They're level on points with leaders Arsenal. They got a 2-0 win over Leicester. They're winning. They're scoring goals. It's like they've been listening to me. I mean, Aaron, like I say, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, have you been impressed so far? And also, do you think this will last without me trying to be too much of a hater? Uh, yeah, I've been really, really surprised, but love to see it because it's all everyone loves to see a team that no one expects at the top of the league to be at the top of the league. It's always great to see a smaller club amongst the big ones, especially in the WSL when the money and transfer budgets are so different from the top to the bottom of the league. So I think with Spurs as well, they're not they're not just there by fluke, they're on merit. They played really mm. well. So okay, they got lucky against City for that that famous triple handball goal that went in but really I think everyone everyone loved to see that it was a great goal and I feel like what was really key for them in the last 12 months they've moved on from that what people were say big name player so Alex Morgan came and went very quickly uh, Alana Kennedy's went off to Man City and hasn't pulled up any trees to say the least there and they brought in players that are really buying into the ethos and uh, how the club wants to be moving forward they're not just wasting loads of money like getting players in that'll do the job that'll dig in and do the dirty yard so I think it is great to see and can I say it lasting obviously I don't think it'll last in terms of where they are right now but I could easily see them challenging someone like Everton for the the lower down spots maybe a fourth or something so but yeah I've been really impressed with them yeah, I I I agree. I think I've I've I'm really hoping it does last. Um, but I think just to see them at least get off to this really good start, um, is is just what you want to see because, like I say, it was it was kind of sad watching and seeing the lack of goals. So, um, yeah, for for me, I was I'm I'm happy to see it now. Regarding Leicester City, uh, they have joined uh, Yeovil and Brighton. Um, in a club that they probably didn't really want to belong to, um, newly promoted teams who have lost their opening four women's Super League matches. Now, of course, many thought that Leicester would have, you know, a real fighting chance in this top flight because their campaign last season was pretty good, you know, dominating the championship, knocking my Man United out of the FA Cup. But, you know, they, they are struggling so far. Meg, do you think that this is maybe just teething problems or something more serious? Um, I, I think it's still very early days, like we've kind of said about Villa, that it's they're in this transitional period, like you can dominate the championship, but when you go from being top dog of one league to the kind of the newbie and the next one up, and it's it's not so easy, and I think, you know, it'll just be 
probably quite a steep learning curve but one nonetheless and I definitely wouldn't write this, them off this early I think it would be a shame if they got relegated straight away but I yeah I don't I don't know that that would happen like um I think hopefully they'll they'll kind of find their stride as the the season goes on and into the new year like hopefully things will book up for them a bit and they might just have been unlucky I don't know but hopefully because I think it would be a shame given what we kind of all hoped or predicted for them it it would be a shame so yeah I think it's too soon to say I, I think they'll get through it yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I am a little bit concerned, though, because, of course, they do face Chelsea and Man City in the league next. Aaron, do you worry about that? And maybe, because they've not had the best start, how, if they potentially lose those two games, like, what kind of mindset that could get them in? Um, not necessarily, no. I, I watched them quite a, quite a few times last season, the championship, when they were coming up against Durham and they were fighting Durham for that that final spot to go up. Um, they've got some great players in that squad. So they, when they came up, they never came up with the ambition or targets of beating the likes of Chelsea, Man United and all them. But what is more concerning, I think, is defeats to West Ham and Villa, who are the teams they're going to be fighting, especially uh, West Ham this season. I think, I think that'll be more damaging because then they'll still have that lingering thought of, oh, if we'd picked up a point or three points there, we'll could have just wrote this game off, whereas now they probably put more pressure on themselves to try and get something out of these games when realistically, yeah, Chelsea's and Man United are in a different world to Leicester City, really. But so yeah, I'm not necessarily concerned. I think they can get over these these two tough games, regroup and get a few players back from injury. I know they've had I think Hannah Kane was out chat pull up from the Wales squad. I think she's a great, great technically gifted player. And then get some service in and Natasha Flint and Jess Sigsworth. It's two great strikers to have. So not worried yet, but uh, not uh, confident of what I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And I mean, one of the teams that I just spoke about that they will be facing is, of course, Manchester City. It's not been great. I don't know what's going on. Their season has actually been described as having completely fallen apart after they lost 2-0 to West Ham at the weekend. Meg, completely fallen apart. Is that a fair assessment at the moment? I kind of think it is, um, by city standards anyway. Because um, they have been really badly affected by injuries, but I don't even think that that's the root of the problem at, at this point. I think the mentality, particularly from Gareth Taylor, like it just seems so misjudged. Like He's almost not even registered how poorly his team are performing, given where they normally are at and the fact that not only one loss but several in a row uh, just isn't the city that we're used to seeing and like they have kind of come so close to in in the table uh, to Chelsea for the past two years and it it seemed to me at least that over the summer their investment would make them a real threat to that but mm. instead it's almost like Arsenal have just completely like leapfrogged over them from third into now kind of vying for first and Chelsea um City have just kind of been left in the mud a bit like for any other team I'd say you know give them a chance like they'll get over it but when you're already like nine points off the top spot they're completely relying on Arsenal and Chelsea dropping a lot of points between them to kind of salvage that that position which for a team like City like that's 
that's not the strategy they should be employing at this point like they need to be going out and getting those points so yeah it, it seems like really a lot has gone wrong there and given City's history of success I would say that for them that is kind of a, a crisis moment because this shouldn't be happening yeah and I feel like had they have won that game against Real Madrid and got into Europe maybe it wouldn't be feeling so detrimental at the moment but yeah I completely agree with what you're saying there in that being so many points away from the top they are going to have to rely on a lot of slip-ups and I don't really know how many slip-ups there are actually going to be um and yeah like you say that's not really the strategy that a team like Manchester City normally has in keeping your fingers crossed that other people you know slip up and also it wouldn't only be you know the likes of Chelsea or Arsenal slipping up but they would have to be, you know, winning pretty much every single game now. Um, so, yeah, it is, is a little bit worrying. I mean, exciting for the likes of, of me as a Man United fan. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, it, it's, it's not good to see a, a team like that struggling. And, I mean, this is the worst start City have ever made in the league. You know, their second defeat at home already, third in a row. Yes, they've had injuries. Well, Aaron, do you think that this is an excuse to paper over the cracks or will they prove us kind of all wrong, maybe, that when these players come back, they'll be back to greatness? Um, I think if you look at a game like the Arsenal one in isolation, you can maybe say injuries because they were playing a lot of players out of position. Arsenal were just ruthless. They were picking out where City were weakest in their back line and they were just they just had a field day, really. But... Against the likes of Spurs and West Ham, they still had the likes of Alex Greenwood, Lauren Hemp, Janine Becky, Vicky Lestrada, and uh, Georgia Stanway all out on the pitch. And for players like that to not be able to beat, with all due respect, Spurs and West Ham is is not good enough, really. And I know Gareth Taylor said quite a bit that they've had no preseason, they've got a lot of injuries, but that's what he gets. He get paid to sort out these kind of problems, mm. and it's not like. Man City have held back. He hasn't been restricted in the transfer market. He's brought in a, a lot of good players. So I think if City had a, a competent manager, they would have easily swept those teams aside with the players they've got in that squad. That's it. I mean, you look at the players that they brought in. I mean, I, I was I was looking at that team very, very, you know, worried about the rest of us, really. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like like you touched on, Meg, the, the nine points of Arsenal and Spurs, and that is a lot of comp- a lot of points in such a competitive league like I've touched on. But, you know, this City team did get a 6-0 win over Leicester in the FA Cup. You know, Khadijah Shaw scored a hat-trick. Vicky Lozada got on the score sheet. And they, you know, they looked a lot better than what we've seen. So, Meg, for fans... I guess this is probably even more frustrating because it does demonstrate that this team is still talented and that they do have the ability to play well. Do you think that this this leaves fans feeling maybe a little bit more, I don't know, hopeful that, you know, if they do manage to get things to click, they can maybe get some points back? Or do you think they just maybe need to accept that this is going to be a tough year, perhaps? Um, I mean, judging by the reactions of most of my friends that are City fans, I think they've all just sort of, given up at this point they're like how can it get sort of worse than this but yeah. you know as we touched on like I really don't think that uh the problem is a lack of talent at all because you know players like Bunny Shaw are fantastic and have done so well for their previous teams um and she was like a perfect signing for City like you said over the summer I was like oh my god like they're bringing in players like her who was you know top she was top scorer in D1 was she or for Bordeaux at least yeah and 
um and they and City I mean have already got like such good young talent in like Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly even if she's not playing at the moment um so I don't doubt that they're going to go on to win games throughout the rest of the season and kind of claw those points back but um the current streak of bad form has to like it has to shake something up I think especially in terms of management like I've seen a lot of City players saying that it's, it's time for a change um and I think that's something that Arsenal kind of paid attention to and thought something needs to change higher up because it's not necessarily the players that are lacking the talent it's the it's more structural and organizational and whether it's the the atmosphere purely um so yeah I don't know whether if they continue to kind of underperform for the rest of this season whether that will um kind of put Taylor's uh position a bit more into question um but yeah I don't I don't know that I would be feeling too positive as a City fan at the moment but um there's 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 still like there's still things to look forward to the rest of this season but in terms of like Champions League and the title race it's like those things feel very very far out of reach at the moment for such a successful team in the City. Yeah I agree it does seem uh, pretty out of reach at the moment and I think that perhaps time is ticking on, you know, how long um, Taylor does stay manager. It'll be interesting to see what moves um, City make next. And, you know, talking of teams that are struggling, we'll head over to Spain now because Real Madrid, Real Madrid are still without a win. Aaron, are alarm bells now officially ringing? I think they've got to be, really. Uh, I think realistically they were never going to be anywhere near Barcelona, but this is just an absolute disaster for them. Especially when it started off so well, beating Man City to qualify for the Champions League. And now they've felt the four defeats, one draw and zero wins. Lost to their rivals, Atletico Madrid, and a joint bottom. And that's just absolutely unheard of for a Real Madrid side. Uh, so ignore a kiss goodbye to any slim chances they had of a title race or a title push. But now, I'd probably say they're going to be struggling to get into Europe, I'd say, for next season now. 14 points off the top two and nothing seemed to be clicking at all. So if we're talking about people under pressure and uh, players under pressure at Man City, I think it's exactly the same at Real Madrid now. Exactly. And of course, you know, we have um, our Real Madrid fan Alejandro on the podcast quite a lot. Um be interesting to get his thoughts on this at some point. But yeah, I know that Real Madrid, you know, have this, uh, you know, this structure and this ethos of winning and being your best and giving your all and, um, I think them getting into Europe was such a poignant moment, but to see them, you know, really struggling in the league, it's it's just not what Real Madrid are about at all. I mean, they have scored one goal in the league so far. They've conceded ten goals in five games. Meg, does this show that the issue is perhaps really across the board? It isn't just that they can't find the back of the net, but defensively, they're not looking strong, are they? Yeah, for sure, because. You know, if if you're not getting the goals and you can put it down to and like mistakes or just a lack of strength in that area, but if you're also conceding far too many, it's it's really not a good look, especially for a team like Real Madrid, considering the the goal tally that they had last season, which you know obviously compared to Barcelona, nobody was uh, that high, but they they put in the work, and so as you're saying, it is it is shocking to see them in this position at the moment, but it has to be. A kind of a whole team problem because it's like things are failing in in so many different areas 
Yeah, it is. It, like you say, it's, it's across the board and it will be interesting to see if if the, the manager stays, what happens, because, you know, like I say, a, a team um, and a, a business like Real Madrid, you can't imagine that they're going to just think, eh, we'll just sit tight and keep our fingers crossed. You know, fans will will want action, I'm sure. Um, but two teams that are doing very well, of course, Barcelona, because like they're going to do anything other than doing well. Um, but Real Sociedad as well, they remain unbeaten. And what have you made of Sociedad's performances so far? Because they, they've they been looking pretty good. I think it's been great. It's a breath of fresh air. And we talked about Tottenham before. It's very similar to that, but probably yeah. on a on a better level, really. They're so good at playing passing football, they're dominating games, they're clinical in front of goal, which is the most important thing. It's great to see a club, what I love especially, see a club from the Basque region doing so well, where you can only get players from that region, getting them all to click, getting them all to play well. The only thing I worry about is that, a bit like over the summer, if they get teams, bigger clubs coming in and cherry-picking their best players, how Mm. do they replace them? Because it is such slim pickings that they've got being in that region of Spain and the ethos that they have there. But like I said, they're playing without fear. They've got no expectations on them, really, to be up where they are. And I think someone that's really stood out last season and carried a form on it this season is Seriegi. Yeah. Red hot form for both club and country. I think, did she get six or something for Spain in the last international break? Yeah. Uh, so I really, she's someone I really hope does stay and uh, pushes Sociedad up in the up our, uh, height of the table. Yeah, I agree. It's really good to see um, another team in the mix. You know, we've been so used to it being, you know, Barcelona, Levante, Atletico Madrid. And now, you know, we we did have Real Madrid in the mix. Um, but yeah, to see um, Sociedad in the mix as well, you know, it is great. Now, of course, you know, Aaron, like what you just touched on there about, you know, Sociedad don't you know really have expectations. Like they know that they're not going to be winning the league. Um Meg, do you think that because it is pretty much a given that Barcelona will win the league, that maybe there's a little bit of pressure off Real Madrid because they know that nobody was ever really expecting them to win the league. I don't know, maybe some Real Madrid fans actually were thinking about it, but um, but you know, that they just need to get back into that top four, you know, then to the top three, and to just try and keep up with last season's form and to try and finish as strong as they can. I say finish, even though we're only just starting the season. Um, do you think that there's maybe a, a little bit less pressure um, compared to maybe a team like Manchester City that fans were probably expecting to be competing for that trophy. And you also think that perhaps Real Madrid will be keeping their fingers crossed that if they, whatever happens in the league, if they can at least finish strong in the Champions League and, you know, maybe get to a quarterfinal or a semi-final, that might, you know, maybe soften the blow a little bit. Yeah, um, I was was just thinking of that comparison to Man City because I think they're in a, quite a similar position in the moment uh, in the sense that they almost just have to really narrow their vision and pull it back and just focus on getting back to that form and the cohesion between the team um, rather than setting their sights on titles and silverware and because ultimately like they really just have to get back to basics which it seems mad to say for teams like uh, Real Madrid and City but if you don't have that if you can't play winning football then you can't have any hope of anything more than that. So, um, yeah, I think if they can just kind of write off this this season, uh, like say, you know, Barcelona, you take the league, but we will hopefully use it to come out the end of it a bit better than what we started and 
start the next one uh, on a bit more of a positive because if you can't then <laughs> there's nothing else to do from that like you have to learn from it or or not yeah I I agree and I'm I'm intrigued to see if if Real Madrid can actually you know bounce back from this I've got my fingers crossed for them um meanwhile in the Bundesliga there's uh not really been too many issues regarding the the teams that you expect to be at the top are basically there and it is you know it's been neck and neck between Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg um and you know it's kind of similar to last season like I say you know Bayern only won the league by two points Aaron with this in mind that especially in this German league every point really does count do you think that Wolfsburg will be kicking themselves after drawing with Freiburg over the weekend considering that they got that same result not only in pre-season but also last season this was the game that they were kicking themselves over last season that maybe affected them not winning the league they're going to be kicking themselves again aren't they yeah definitely like you said it was the same result that cost them the league last season and as competitive as the Bundesliga is, it could be the exact same again. You know, Bayern could go the whole season and uh, not drop any points, really. So it could be rinse and repeat for Wolfsburg. But I think it's it, it will be frustrating for them going ahead and then coming back from 2-1 down. And they had over half an hour to get another goal and take all three points. So I think, I think that'll be the most disappointing thing to have got themselves back in the game but not be able to get that killer instinct, that killer touch in the final third to to take all three points because Jürgen Freiburg, they're clearly a bogey team for Wolfsburg. They were, they were still yet to win this season and Bayern put four past them already. So when uh, Wolfsburg and Bayern Munich meet on the 13th of November, that is that is going to have to be all or nothing for Wolfsburg. It's still so early in the season to say that, I feel, but I think because how competitive the league is, it, it is that important of a game. Yeah, it seems like in a lot of the leagues at the moment, it's very all or nothing already. It's very intense, very quickly, it seems, uh, all over Europe. I mean, you know, there was a blunder from German keeper, Amelschlip, which saw Wolfsburg concede, um, you know, for the first time in the league. After the game, Svenja Huth did say that her side had to become more stable defensively. I get where she's coming from, 100%, but Meg, do you think that's... You know, a fair comment to maybe be going in so critical considering that this is only their first slip-up or looking at who Wolfsburg are against with Bayern Munich, is that kind of the right attitude to have that you should be looking at every game so crit- critically? Um, I think I think it's always good to be critical and it reminds me of like sometimes when I listen to Emma Hayes talk after a match yeah. and we'll have beat a team like 6-0 and she's like, I don't think we were very good. And I'm like, oh my God, can you not... <laughs> Like, I was thinking that after up. the Man United game. I was like, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be abs- if I was a player, I'd be absolutely fuming. Like, what do you mean we didn't play well? We just won 6-1. <laughs> I know. But I think, you know, managers like that, they're just constantly thinking of the next game, what it means for the next, and constantly pushing their players to be better. But at the same time, like, no matter how experienced, how highly paid, like, you're never immune to making mistakes. And it just happens and... Yes, it might be embarrassing or disappointing or frustrating, but you just have to like shake yourself off and try and forget about it because then when you're going into those all or nothing games up against Bayern, if you've got those mistakes on your mind, then you're just going to psych yourself out. So hopefully they can just, you know, recover from it and keep going. Because, um, yeah, it happens. It sucks, but that's football. It is. I mean, it's also one thing I wanted to highlight, you know, it's been a great start to the season for Eintracht Frankfurt, who 
have received increased backing as a result of a closer merger and rebranding of the side formerly known as FFC Frankfurt. They had an impressive run um, of three wins and despite a loss to Hoffenheim at the weekend, you know, they're still in fifth place. Aaron, do you think that this is potentially the start of something special for Frankfurt and that this will help the league to become more competitive, you know, not talking about obviously, you know, Bayern and Wolfsburg, but just, you know, regarding like the rest of the table in fighting for a spot in Europe, etc. I really hope it is. Obviously, it's still extremely early days for a team like Frankfurt, but like you said, to get that merger and to get more backing, which we all know having financial backing is pretty much the be-all and end-all of having a successful football team, which it's a shame to say, but it's the truth now. So, I think they could be pushing for that third spot this season, next season solidifying it maybe because they've got some good players, a good manager at the helm as well. So uh, they've beat, you know, they've beat Wolfsburg, be Freiburg. So I think, you know, it it could be it could be something something good for them brewing over there. Yeah, I agree. It will be interesting to see what happened. Uh, what happened? Sorry. And of course, elsewhere, Bayern Munich, as Bayern Munich always seem to do, celebrated a 6-0 thrashing of newly promoted Cologne. Meg, what do you make of this Bayern side? And do you feel that as good as Wolfsburg are, this is still maybe Bayern's league to lose? Um, Yeah, I mean, it is early days, but as you've just said, like it does seem to be such high intensity so early on and if we'll um and if Bayern continue as they are with just absolute like goals left right and center like not dropping the points not conceding like it is going to be hard for Wolfsburg to catch up which is kind of crazy to say given that they've only kind of slipped up a tiny bit but when every point literally does count then yeah, it's really hard to say. So I, I would like to say that they are they're, they're still in the race because of course they are. Like you never know um, what could happen. Um, but Bayern are just they're clearly in it to just run away with it, and I think they have the potential to do so. Yeah, they they do, and it's yeah when Bayern and Wolfsburg do meet, it's going to be very interesting indeed. Now. Speak about all these teams across Europe, of course, this week, the Women's Champions League group stage kicks off. So I thought we'd have a chat about some of the biggest fixtures and maybe give, you know, a few of our predictions. So in Group A, one of the biggest games in this group stage is Chelsea against Wolfsburg, who, of course, we've just been talking about. Both sides have started well in the new season, of course, despite, you know, Chelsea's, Meg will call it a blip, despite that blip against Arsenal, you know, it's been plain sailing (laughs) since. Um... Aaron, do you feel like Wolfsburg will be looking for revenge after what happened in the Champions League last season with you know Chelsea knocking them out? Yeah, I think they definitely will because Wolfsburg had some big chances uh, over those two legs against Chelsea. So they could maybe count themselves a bit hard done by. So I think this year they'll they'll be coming up full guns blazing. And like Meg mentioned before about Chelsea's uh, issues at fullback, you know they're not not the best fullbacks or even natural fullbacks to see the least. So I think that's where Wolfsburg will be targeting to then miss out the middle of the pitch with people like uh, uh, so like Ingo, Leopold, Magla Eriksson, miss out all those players and try and get in through the wide area. So I think Wolfsburg will be coming for revenge. Whether or not they can get it, I think it's a different story though. I agree um, because you look at... Um, yeah, you know what, Wolfsburg have made, you know, a, a couple of good signings, but, you know, Chelsea, 
also did you know well in the transfer window to add to the uh, fantastic team that they've already got. So you you wonder if Wolfsburg have enough to kind of bridge that gap. I mean, Meg, for you, where do you see this game being? You know, perhaps won or lost on the pitch. Um, I mean, I think I, I I did kind of agree that in the first leg, I think Chelsea kind of coasted a little bit, and I did I did think they had a lot of good fortune in their Champions League run, like. Um, but they were so clinical in the second leg and just completely shut them down. And I think it's unfortunate that Wolfsburg are missing Eva Pyre as well because she's a, a key player and Wolfsburg have sort of... I don't know if they've just lost their shine a little bit since losing Penilla Harder as well, who obviously has gone to Chelsea. So there's always going to be a bit of like... Um, not bad blood, but... Um, the, They're going to be annoyed. They've got kind of, their best player. <laughs> exactly and um, especially when she took that penalty against them last year she did and um like her current form alongside Kirby and Kerr makes for a very threatening like front three which I'm sure Emma Hayes will be using um but that said uh, as Aaron pointed out Chelsea really need to make sure that the defensive errors don't get the better of them because Wolfsburg can and will um exploit that so um, I do think Chelsea will likely come out on top. Uh, well, I, I say that optimistically and as a Chelsea fan, but um, I do think based on their kind of current form and, and, and last year's result, um, but they just really do need to stay organised and not just focus on the shooting because those, like I'm saying, those kind of runaway moments down down the far sides, like they, they'll get caught out in those 1v1 situations. Um, with the full backs so yeah as long as they can keep it tight together and um, focus on getting the goals but also holding it together and not conceding silly ones uh, and making mistakes I think they'll be okay but yeah it, it'll definitely be um, a good game and I think there'll be kind of high stakes on both sides uh, kind of personal ones as well as um, uh, just in terms of the game yeah, I agree. I mean, um, Aaron, have you got a prediction for us? Yeah, I'm going to go Chelsea 4-2, Penilla Harder, Brace. Oh, I like how specific that yes. was as well. What about you, Meg? Yes. I would love to see that. You were, you were a bit more, um, <laughs> I think you went for it more. I just said 3-1 Chelsea, because um, I do see um, Penilla and uh, Fran and Sam combining and hopefully getting those goals in but I also do think that there is potential for them to concede I think they would be lucky to get away with that so um, yeah yeah that would be my guess yeah I mean I, I'm I'm a very indecisive person as people will know that listen to the podcast I'm rubbish with predictions <laughs> Um, I feel like yeah Wolfsburg are going to score but I do see Chelsea winning it Um. And even if, you know, their best players for whatever reason, you know, aren't having the best night, the depth that that team has to bring on another star is insane. Um, so, you know what? Something like Chelsea scoring four goals, I don't think is that crazy. Maybe maybe a 4-1. Maybe a 4-1. Maybe I'll go with that. I'm, I'm on board, Aaron, with the... Uh, with lots of goals, yes. I'm here for it. Um, as as uh, you know, as a neutral watching it, bring you know, bring on the goals. Out. But yeah, a, a very exciting game and another exciting game in Group C that we have is this blockbuster fixture of Barcelona against Arsenal. Aaron, 
is this arguably maybe the best time? I mean, I don't really know if there is a best time to play Barcelona, but is this maybe <laughs> the best time for them to be facing a team like this? Because confidence is high at Arsenal. They've been on such a, a run of good form. And I guess, sorry to bring it up again, Meg, but, you know, beating a team like Chelsea... <laughs> Um, that, you know, we're, we're in a final with Barcelona. That's got to put them, you know, in a in a, a good mood going into... Well, maybe not a good mood. I'd still be a bit worried. But, you know, there's got to be good vibes going into this, right? Yeah. Uh, like you said, I don't think that ever is a good time to play a team like Barcelona. But if there is one, it probably is when yourself as a team are on good form. So I'd say probably is the best time for them to be playing, getting some big results. But... Like you said, Arsenal beat Chelsea, but when Barcelona played Chelsea in that final, sorry, Mike, but it, it was like it was just not a contest at all. Mm. Um, I think Barcelona have scored 35 goals and only conceded one. You know, when they conceded that one against Alaves, they went on to score nine in that game. So it's like, even if you score against them, you're just going to anger them. So it for Arsenal, yeah, they'll have a lot of self belief, obviously. Um, They've been um, they've been talking about how they don't fear anyone anymore. They've got this new lease of life of going into games, attacking games, playing their own own style of football. But uh, that just worries me a little bit. Sometimes if you don't, not that they're not going to respect Barcelona, but if they're going to go in and just say, right, we're going to play our game and that's it, I could see uh, Barcelona carving them open a little bit. But from an Arsenal point of view, they have some of the best players in the world at the minute. In Miedemar, one of the best strikers, and Kim Little has been on scintillating form this season. I'd say she's one of the best midfielders in the world. So, yeah, so best time to play Barcelona if there ever is one. But if I was an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, hold that much hope. Yeah, it is. I think, like I say, it's the best time to go into it because their confidence will be high, but at the same time, this would completely shatter their confidence as well. So I am a little bit concerned. I mean, now, you know, although Barcelona will be, you know, going into this game as favourites, let's face it, Meg, who are Arsenal going to be looking at and maybe relying on perhaps to maybe, like I said, I'm not going to say, when I say prove people wrong, I'm not saying that these players are going to be the ones that will make sure Arsenal win, but at least the players that they'll be looking at to put in a good shift, a good performance, so that whatever the scoreline, Arsenal can at least walk away thinking, you know what, we played well, we put in a good shift, and we're not walking away from this feeling, you know, completely humiliated or something. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting because with Arsenal I think when you think of their players that everybody watches and focuses on it is usually the ones at the front because of course when you've got Viv Miedemar like and and normally in the league yeah she gets to showcase her talent and how many goals she can score and her, I think particularly her partnership with Beth Mead at the moment has been really productive and now that they've got Iwabuchi and um, like Aaron was saying Kim Little like they have got that talent and they can create those goal scoring opportunities and it is so impressive but at the same time, when going up, like going up against a team like Barcelona, um, in a way, if they're not necessarily expecting to win, then the focus is probably more going to be on the defense because ultimately, like they want to potentially concede as little as possible. Because I think with um, when they were beaten, but uh, when when they beat Chelsea, um, it wasn't even that I necessarily 
expected to win I was just devastated how many goals they scored because obviously the more they scored the more embarrassing it is like at the end of the day so um yeah I think there is going to be a lot of uh, pressure on their defense because when you've got you know the the skill of like Lika Martins, Pateas, Bonmati like going up against you like that is terrifying like yeah. I would I'm, I'm not jealous mm-hmm. of people on that pitch um facing them um especially because Arsenal's a lot of Arsenal's defenders are on the younger side and um they're definitely more experienced than Chelsea's was I think going into that final they were particularly fragile but at the same time, it, it's not going to be easy. And I think, you know, if they can stop Barcelona from scoring too much and hopefully get a couple in of their own, I, I think they can definitely leave it with their heads held high, um, even if they don't manage to win. Because at the end of the day, if they can say that they played a good game and give it their all, then there's there's nothing wrong with that. Dare I ask for predictions, Aaron? <laughs> Um, I'm gonna go for Barcelona to win five two. Ooh, what about yeah. you, Meg? Actually, not very different. I said four two. I I was gonna go higher for Barcelona, but then I thought <laughs> I don't I don't want to uh, I don't want to jinx it for Arsenal as much as I uh, <laughs> don't want to see them succeed. Um, but yeah, I do reckon they could get one or two in of their own just because they do have um such talent up front, but. Yeah. At the same time, I just think Barcelona are so, so terrifying, frankly. Mm. Oh, see, in my head, I've got 6 2 in my head for some reason. It's, it's come to me, which would be, it it's wouldn't be great. I know. <laughs> I think, whatever the prediction, I think there's going to be, in my opinion, I think there's going to be a lot of goals. And I don't see Arsenal walking away from it with a win I mean again as a neutral if they won I think it would be great I love nothing more than a bit of a shock um Mm -hmm. but yeah I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see I'm not too sure if I can see it happening though as good as Arsenal have been um and you know one of the other games maybe not a blockbuster game but you know for former Champions League title holders and absolute legends in this competition Leon they will face Hakan and included in their squad is um Ada Hegberg Aaron, Leon fans will be surely rejoicing at the thought of seeing her play again, right? Yeah, definitely, because who wouldn't want a player like Hedda Berg in their team? She's just absolutely fantastic. And I feel like, a bit understandably so, during that time out with injury, people have kind of forgot how good she really yeah. was, not just at putting the ball in the back in there, but linking play up and drawing defenders out of position to then let others run in behind, like... Last three seasons, got 31, 20 and 14 goals. So uh, I think especially with one of Leon's new signings, uh, Daniel van der Donk, I think with them two linking up, I think that could be really, really something special. So I think it's no coincidence that Leon's dominance started to crumble when she was out injured as well. I think nothing more suggests how good of a player you are if your team doesn't fall apart, but falls down a lot of levels when you're out injured. So... It's just more to worry about for teams that have to face Leon, isn't it? It is. And I mean, you know, the former Ballon d'Or winner has been out for 20 months. She, of course, had an anterior cruciate ligament injury. She has, you know, been part of the Leon teams that won this competition four times in a row. Meg, you know, kind of like what Aaron touched on there, you know, how important is it, you know, for her to return ahead of arguably their toughest season in the competition, you know, as they try to get their trophy back? 
yeah massively uh, massively important um because you know leon have dominated in europe for so long and it's because they have players of her caliber and like amandine Henri, la summer like their midfield like is insane and then when they can link up with forwards of that like that skill um i think it it was what was missing um last year um and yeah so i I think that will be um massive for them in in terms of coming back and trying to reclaim that that position at the top yeah i mean regarding predictions i think we can all probably agree that leon will be getting the win obviously we're not sure how much we will see of the player you know it may just be that she comes on for 10 minutes but i think we can all agree on it's going to be a leon win right yeah, definitely. I can say something something quite stupid, like a, a 7-1 or something, like Ooh. very, very easy. Yeah, yeah, I I probably agree. I think it could be a, another game with um, a lot of goals. Um, but yeah, the Champions League is back and all very exciting. Now, you know, finally, there have been some very serious and important topics also being discussed in the world of football for women at the moment. The National Women's Soccer League in the USA have fired Commissioner Lisa Baird and FIFA has launched a preliminary investigation in the wake of a report detailing allegations of sexual misconduct against former North Carolina Courage head coach Paul Riley. FIFA said it is deeply concerned about the allegations of abuse in the sport in the country. Um, I thought that we'd just talk about this because at the end of the day, everybody is talking about it. And, you know, this podcast is not just about looking at games, but looking at topics that that happen in in this um in this sport Aaron I mean what was your reaction to this news um felt a bit sick angry and just couldn't believe it really it's mm. just you just don't you don't understand how people men especially can get away with stuff like this ever but more more specifically in this day and age when women's football is supposed to be growing and there's supposed to be all this attention and feel good factor and happiness towards it and really you don't even scratch the surface that much and you're seeing all these disgusting and horrendous things that's going on. Yeah. And you just, you just don't get how they're getting away with it. Any other form of employment or work, this this either doesn't happen or it happens, uh, gets reported, gets listened to. But for some reason, football, and especially in the uh, NWSL at the minute, seems rife. They're just not being listened to. They're being swept aside. And... Like FIFA, FIFA have said, it's deeply they're deeply concerned. I think that's putting it too lightly. It's far more than deeply concerned, and mm. it, it's absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, deeply concerned is is um, yeah maybe not what I think most people would describe it as. I mean, US internationals Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe were among the players who have criticised the league's handling. Of, of the Riley allegations, um, you know, Morgan tweeted, bottom line, protect your players, do the right thing. Um, you know, there have been tweets by Rapino, you know, men protecting men who are abusing women. Um, you know, burn it all down, let all their heads roll. You know, many players have also come out in support of the players that have reported Riley for his misconduct. Meg, do you feel like these statements, unfortunately... You know, don't just strike a chord with female footballers, but with women, you know, across the world. Yeah, I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but it's it's really not unique to women's football. Um, we've seen it in 
in other sports in women's gymnastics but we've also seen it in educational corporate settings like the film industry the music industry it happens everywhere it's so pervasive and even where women are in the majority in a workplace such as a women's football team they aren't safe as long as men retain those positions of power and continue to exploit them without consequences and it's incredibly upsetting not just that the abuse happens but that the victims and witnesses are silenced and they're forced to choose between speaking up and potentially losing their careers and that people are aware that these things are going on and they're just not saying anything to save face and like to not you know um defame like the women's game which really if that's at the cost of the safety and well-being of the players then it, it just cannot go on um but it's not just a problem with sport it's it's a problem with institutionalized misogyny and the the physical and psychological violence that it produces because it's not going to stop until you until you address that yeah yeah I I completely get where you're you're coming from with with what you're saying and there has to be a lot of things done before you even you know think about what has happened and what has been reported there are these institutionalized things that have to be addressed and people need to talk about them I mean you know, Aaron, how important is it that FIFA and the NWSL now take these allegations seriously and that justice is served? Because, you know, change is not going to happen until individuals and organisations, you know, these people are kind of held accountable. And this is an opportunity now where this is something that, you know, people are talking about it. It has got the media's attention. And unfortunately, now that it actually has that, this is now an opportunity as much as it shouldn't be an opportunity because this should be dealt with whether there's media attention or not. But this is now a chance for FIFA and the NWSL to really set an example and to show, you know, this is how we are dealing with these situations. Yeah, it's it's a paramount of importance, really. But just to say, do I have any trust in FIFA or the NWSL to carry out anything correct uh, that's of importance at the minute? Not really, mm. but hopefully they they can because, like I said, change needs to happen. But change shouldn't need to happen because women shouldn't be put in this place and to start with. Mm. But it's it's just so frustrating. Like Meg said, even when women are in the majority, everything's just going against them. Still, everything yeah. and anything possible is going against them. It it's just not right, and it it can't be happening. You shouldn't be able to, or you shouldn't have to. Sorry go to work and not feel safe it's it's just a basic basic human right really so it, it's got so much attention in the media now uh it's all 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 eyes on it so it's a chance for for fifa and nwsl to come out the other end and say right obviously it was absolutely horrific should never have happened this is how we are going to change it and something like this will never happen again but how they do that and how they gain the players uh, and fans trust back. Uh, I'm really not sure they can. I agree. It's going to be, um, you know, that will be a very, very difficult task. Like you say, regaining trust will be will be huge here. And, you know, there is a cycle that has been demonstrated before. Um, you know, other articles I've read about other players that in the past have spoken up about things and have, you know, been silenced that, you know, players know that if they speak up, they can be dropped There are not enough safe places for female football players to report harm. And, you know, like we say, we're talking about women across the board here, really, in in so many different professions. Um, And, you know, when these players do come forward, as we've seen before, 
you know, there's maybe a quiet departure or something like that. These coaches then emerge elsewhere. It's like there's no accountability. And, you know, this is an opportunity for the powers that be to change the narrative and to evoke some kind of real change. Meg, you know, what are you hoping comes out of these horrific stories regarding the future of the sport? Um, I mean, as Aaron said, like, it's it's kind of hard to be optimistic when it happens time and time again and the people that are in power stay in power. Um, but the only answer really is serious reform because you can't just fire the abuser, like the one person who's been exactly. accused of whatever crime, because if you just, um, you know, replace them, but the whole system facilitated their abuse, so it will just keep happening. And players can't be expected to speak up for themselves. The onus can't be put on them to save themselves in these situations when there's no system of support in place to protect them when they're making these allegations, because it's so incredibly isolating as we've heard from the players that have spoken out about their experiences and like when people that they're supposed to be able to go to in times of um, crisis with worries are either listening to them but sort of you know brushing it to one side protecting even denying the existence of what's happening and pretending that they're shocked when it comes out in the media like as long as that all keeps going on then just um punishing individual kind of perpetrators of misconduct isn't actually going to resolve the 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 flaw in the the system itself yeah i i agree with everything you've touched on there and it's one of these situations where you know like you've both said it's it's going to be very hard to um to feel confident you know with this situation that there will be real resolve and there will be real changes put in place um I guess you know we can we can hope but you know in in times like this it doesn't you know look look very hopeful which is the sad thing and I just you know applaud the the women that have come forward and spoken about this and I just hope that you know them speaking up and being so brave I just hope that the outcome for them is is what they need um the, the final point that I thought we'd talk about of course not on the same level as that you know topic that we've just discussed but you know regarding the future of women's football there was news this week again about this world cup and the plan for the tournament to take place every two years it's something being discussed in men's football women's football we've talked about it on the podcast before and and there has been a uproar regarding having the competition so often um and you know this is all you know former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger he's leading the group looking at the men's game ex-United States coach Jill Ellis is overseeing an advisory group working on proposals for the women's game if their plans went ahead not only would the women's world cup play world cup take place in the same summer as a major men's tournament would but there would also be a clash with the olympics which of course we know is a very significant event in women's football in september men's leagues confirmed their opposition to fifa's plans which would mean the women's world cup taking place in the same summer like i say as the men's major tournament and now a statement has been co-signed by uefa and 10 of europe's women's leagues laying out the negative impacts of the plans Aaron, at this point, can you actually think of anything positive that would come out of these plans? Because I've I've read and I've looked and I don't, apart from obviously we can say, you know, maybe the money side of it for people, but regarding actual players' well-being and football, I can't think of any positives, can you? <laughs> not not one in the slightest. You see, those come out and say, oh, we're going to cut back on international breaks. And then you say, international manager saying players are tired. You're saying, club manager saying players are tired. 
and then they want to go and have all these extra games and extra tournaments. And you would think from people, especially like Arsene Wenger and Jill Ellis, who are highly respected within the game, would know much better than to try and push through this just to get a, a bit extra cash. It's absolutely absurd, really. So I, I just don't see where they're going with this. Can I see it happening? The worrying thing is I can't. Do I want it to happen? Absolutely not, because no one wants it. The thing about having World Cups and tournaments staggered over the years is that it builds up excitement. And then over those couple of weeks, everyone comes together and really enjoys it. If you have it every year, it, it's just pointless, really. It just becomes like, I don't know, like an FA Cup or something every year. It's just not the same excitement. So to me, it's absolutely ridiculous if it goes ahead. I completely agree. I mean, the list of issues that this could bring is, you know, people might argue, but I think, you know, a hell of a lot worse for women's football is it could, you know, reduce the visibility and growth of the game. It could, of course, risk physical injury and mental health impacts for men and women, but it could also place a strain on resources for women's national team players. Meg, what's the biggest worry for you looking at all of this? Um, I mean, I totally agree with everything you guys have just said. I think it's like I think it's insane um but I think as well like specifically with the women's game it's it's worrying to me that like people just seem to time and time again miss the mark in terms of what actually will help the women's game grow it's like they think they're doing women a favor and like helping them out and doing these grand gestures when actually it feels so empty compared to the small things that the women women's game still needs to even like remotely get on a par with um men's football just in terms of like investment at the much like lower levels and yeah I just think it's crazy because yeah of course the enjoyment is the fact that it only comes around once every few years and then you you have the Euros then you have the World Cup you have the Olympics it all they all come with their own like unique set of what makes them interesting and by increasing the frequency it it takes the I don't know just just makes it less significant and less exciting and it puts so much pressure surely on the countries that are having to host these tournaments like it's a big impact on the economy and having to um have the the resources to be able to host these massive tournaments and to have fans flying all around the world like it's so expensive and I know they gain a lot of money from it as well but I just think I I don't see what the hurry to change it is because the current model I think works absolutely fine and and fans and players alike get so much out of it without pushing themselves over the edge and um you know we already see how difficult it is like this year for players to have come back um from the Olympics and are going into the Euros next year like it's already quite a tight schedule they have so much to plan for and to keep themselves fit it's just yeah, seems ludicrous that you would introduce even more into that mix. Yeah, it is. I mean, like you say, it's you know it, it it's it's tough enough as it is the amount of games that play. I know that you know, especially with the men's game, people can sit there and say, "Oh, well, they're getting paid X amount of money a week." You know, people can only do so much. Um, people can only play X amount of games. Um, and yeah, it just seems absolutely insane. But. You know, like I say, um, 10 of Europe's women's leagues, you know, have co-signed this statement, um, you know, kind of alongside um, people within the men's game as well, you know, laying out the negative impacts, etc. Aaron, you know, how important is it to see 
that we are at least seeing the men and women joining together on such an important topic. And it seems like, you know, maybe, you know, both are kind of, you know, understanding the impacts for, for each, um, for each sport. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crucial to getting the idea squashed as soon as possible, really, because if one side isn't fully opposed to it, they'll start by doing it for the men or they'll start by doing it for the women. And then in a couple of years, they'll roll it out to the, to the opposite side of it. So, it's it's so important for both sides to come together I like to have and just say no stop it before you even get any more ridiculous ideas or money ideas in your head stop because it's it's going to burn players out and ultimately if you see young players coming through now and they're looking at players having to play 50 60 games every 12 months with what two weeks off it's it's going to be hurting their mental and physical well-being they're going to be put off and you're going to not have the best players coming through and like Meg said as well, they're just completely wide of the mark of of what the women's game needs. And yeah, I just really hope it does get stopped as soon as possible for both the men and the women's game. Yes, and uh, I think we're we're all in agreement with that one. That yeah, we can see no no good points of of having so many World <laughs> Cups. Um, and yeah, hopefully, um, you know, especially working working in the world of, of football media. A World Cup every two years sounds extremely stressful with a lot of planning. So for for that reason alone, alongside the issues, you know, that it definitely has on on women's football, let alone all the other things we've discussed. uh, Yeah, let's hope that that one's turned around. But yeah, great to chat to you both this week on the podcast. Um, And I'm sure that we'll get you both back soon uh, to chat more as the season progresses. So that is it for today's One Football Women's Football Podcast. As always, a big thank you to my guests, to Aaron and Meg for joining me and to all of you for listening. If you do want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you check out the likes of Spotify, Apple Music, etc. to hear more from One Football. <laughs>